Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. My name is Scott Miller and I am privileged to host what is now the world's largest, most subscribed to weekly leadership podcast on behalf of the Franklin Covey Company. Every week we get the chance to speak with best-selling authors, renowned business titans, entrepreneurs, people of all types of fame, celebrity, influence, occasionally someone that may not be a household name, but their accomplishment, their research is especially insightful, prescient on a leadership topic. And we typically pride ourselves in selecting new fresh guests, guests if you will, for each episode. And then there is the rare occasion when one of our friends or previous guests has written a new book or has a new concept that we think is so relevant and needy to the millions of people around the world that are consuming this podcast, watching it on video, or listening to it on their platforms that they invite that person back. And today is the first time that we have invited out back a non-Franklin Covey guest for their third visit because their research, their value is incomparable in terms of other people's uh, uh, appearance. So we've invited back the famed Dr. Daniel Amen, the, let's see, board-certified psychiatrist, renowned um, neuroscientist, brain imaging expert. He is the founder of Amen Clinics, of which there are nine locations around the nation. He is a, get this, 13-time best-selling author, and you also know him as the star of many of the local PBS station fundraising programs where recently he and his wife Tana produced a program that got me so interested back into his content, I invited him back on. And today we are rejoined by Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amen, welcome to On Leadership. Hi, Scott. Such a pleasure to see you again. Same here, Daniel. Uh, let's see, two weeks ago, I think it was a Saturday morning, I'm an early riser, as you and others know, you are as well. And I found myself in the kitchen, I think around 4 a.m. on a Saturday morning, and I just happened to turn on the, the television to uh, drink a short, small cup of coffee, sir, half a cup of coffee. And you were on, not so surprisingly, on the local Salt Lake PBS station. You have taped many programs for PBS, one of their largest fundraisers in history, and you hosted a two-hour program that I watched the entire special. I'm no stranger to your content. You and I have been friends for a decade. You have been a friend of Franklin Covey's for a decade. You've been featured in one of the modules in our Five Choices to Extraordinary Productivity Time Management series. The content was so compelling, I texted you, I think, at a horrifying 5 a.m. Los Angeles time, and you were gracious enough to uh, text back and say you'd come back on the program because this new book you have out, Your Brain is Always Listening, Tame the Hidden Dragons that Control Your Happiness, Habits, and Hangups was captivating to me, and I wanted to have you share some of the insights about the dragons that we suffer with. Daniel, for those few people that may not have watched your two previous episodes here or be familiar with you, could you take a few minutes and reorient our listeners and viewers around the world to your journey, your life's work, and why you came to write this most recent book? So as you said, I'm a psychiatrist. Before I was a psychiatrist, I was an infantry medic. And that's where my love of medicine was born. Um, but after about a year of doing that, I realized I didn't like being shot at. So I got <laughs> myself retrained as an x-ray technician and really developed a passion for medical imaging. As our professors used to say, how do you know unless you look? 
And then I got out of the army and went to um, college and then medical school. And when I was a second year medical student, someone I love tried to kill herself. And I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist. And I came to realize if he helped her, which he did, it wouldn't just help her, that ultimately it would help her children and subsequently even her grandchildren as they would be shaped by someone who is happier and more stable. So more than 40 years ago, I fell in love with psychiatry because I realized it has the potential to literally change generations of people. And I've loved it every day since, but I fell in love with the only medical specialty that virtually never looks at the organ it treats. And being an x-ray technician, I used to bother my psychiatric professors. It's like, how do you know unless you look? Shouldn't we be looking at the brain? Obviously the brain is our organ. It's the organ of loving, learning, behaving, acting, deciding, and when I got the opportunity in the late 1980s to start looking at the brain, it just changed everything I did uh, for myself because I realized if I'm not healthy, my brain's not healthy, changed everything for my children. If you dated one of my children uh, for four months, if I thought you might stick around, I was scanning the people they were dating. Um, <laughs> I got divorced in 2000 and I told myself I was, was going to get married again. The first naked part of her I wanted to see was her brain. And so um, my wife, uh, Tana and I have been together 15 years and two weeks after I met her, because I really liked her, is uh, I got a picture of her brain. And, um, and you know, I've just come to realize we get sick in these four big circles and we get well in them. And the four circles is there's a biology. Uh, that's where the physical functioning of your brain is. There's a psychology, which is how your mind functions. There's a social circle and there's a spiritual circle, which is why the heck do you care? And your brain is always listening, talks about those circles. Um, and I use the metaphor of dragons, dragons breathing fire on your emotional brain. And I got this idea from a friend of mine, Sharon May, who's a, a relationship psychologist. And as I listened to her, I just imagined all the dragon influences on those four souls. And so the book is divided into dragons from the past. So think of the psychological circle, the scheming dragons, really how society is stealing brain health, um, the they, them, and other dragons, uh, the impact of people alive and dead on your brain. My brain's still listening to my grandfather uh, who's been dead many years, but he was so loving, so kind, so encouraging that my brain still pays attention to him. And uh, I talk about the dragon tamer, which is the front part of your brain. And so it's really, it's a fun book. It's very practical. And uh, I loved writing it. 
Well, I highly recommend your most recent PBS special co-hosted by your wife, who is also an RN, Tana, um, who I think uh, maybe steals the show on a couple of occasions because it was a captivating two hours. Daniel, I, I want to get into the book and some of your latest research and writings. But first, not only are you a psychiatrist, you are a brain imaging expert through the nine clinics that you own and host around the nation. You have scanned in total how many brains in your history? Um, we're at 175,000 scans on patients from now 150 countries. And uh, the brain's important no matter where you are. If you're in Thailand or Japan or Germany, everybody struggles with brain health issues. And, you know, I often say, get your brain right and your mind will follow. And Daniel, you also are a brain imaging expert and a, a, a neuroscientist. I wonder if you would take a few minutes and just sort of give us all a primer on the different parts of our brain. We see, we hear so much about your prefrontal cortex and your amygdala. And, and you know, for people that are lay people like me, we hear it and can't necessarily retain it. Would you just give us all a low-level Scott Miller-style reminder of the big parts of our brain, the functions they play, and when one is perhaps overproducing or underactive, what are the types of behaviors we see? So we can start with kind of a common language today. Well, the, the two parts that are really the stars of this new book is your limbic or emotional brain that drives how you feel. And there's an area called the hippocampus, um, which is very special. It's involved in your mood and your memory. The hippocampus is Greek for seahorse because it has a seahorse shape. And it's special because it makes 700 new baby cells every day, stem cells or what I think of as baby seahorses. And what you eat and the environment you put it in helps them grow or murders them. Funny story, Miley Cyrus is one of my patients. She came out public last year. I've seen her for about 10 years and she, everybody knows she was smoking a lot of pot. And I got her to stop because she's an animal lover and I said, you're murdering the seahorses. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that. Um, there's the amygdala, which is an almond-shaped structure in your limbic brain that um, when it works right, helps us feel appropriate anxiety. For anyone who saw Free Solo, that man had no anxiety and had just no activity in his amygdala. He was someone who climbed the face of Half Dome uh, in Yosemite. Um, and then think of the prefrontal cortex, the front third of your brain, largest in humans and in any other animal. It's 30% of the human brain, 11% of the chimpanzee brain. 3%, if that, of my cat's brain. And um, it's involved with things like focus and forethought, judgment, impulse control, organization, planning, empathy. I call it the dragon tamer because when the dragons from the past are breathing fire on your emotional brain, the anxious dragon, the wounded dragon, 
the grief and loss dragon or the death dragon. It's your prefrontal cortex that actually settles things down. And this is why you should not let a child hit a soccer ball with their head because it can damage their prefrontal cortex. And if you damage it, the dragons just sort of get out of control. Daniel, I'd like to spend most of our time today talking about the dragons that you call bad habit dragons because they have a great organizational context for managing anger and for time management organization. Before we go there, you, in the beginning of the book, talk a lot about um, dragons from the past and mem- memories. Uh, Anxious dragons, wounded dragons, angry dragons, death dragons, grief and loss dragons. You know, we're taping this interview now in March 2021, just exactly one year into this global pandemic. As a psychiatrist, no one probably has been closer to the horror, the death, the loss, the fear, the anxiety, the trauma that countless millions of people are facing as a result of having lost loved ones. You yourself, I believe your father's life was ultimately taken from... Um, COVID. Talk a bit about some of these dragons. And for those of us that have had loved ones lost, friends been impacted by this, what advice would you give us as a psychiatrist around these dragons that a lot of us are experiencing from the trauma of perhaps having lost our jobs or had our our economic situation challenged? What advice would you give us? So many entrepreneurs uh, whose businesses have been damaged by the pandemic. And there are 13 dragons from the past. And, you know, we all have all 13 to some degree or another. And people can go to knowyourdragons.com and find out what their primary dragons are. Um, Mine, for example, is the abandoned, invisible, and insignificant dragon. I'm one of seven children. Um, growing up, I was third. I have an older brother, older sister, and four younger sisters. Pray for me with all those <laughs> girls. Um, but nobody saw me growing up. And for the first, I don't know, 40 years of my life, working on being significant was, was a big issue for me. For each of the dragons, I talk about their origin stories, you know, how they're born what triggers them, how they cause us to react, and how to tame them, even what movies they like. So the abandoned, invisible, and insignificant dragon loves underdog movies, like The Blind Side, or Rocky, or Slumdog Millionaire. Love underdog movies. The um, judgmental dragons, uh, this is Tana, my wife's primary dragon. Uh, They love vengeance movies, right? If she had a choice between Green Book, which I think won the Oscar, uh, and Rambo 7, she'd watch Rambo every time because, you know, she wants the world to be fair because when she was growing up, the world was not fair. And, uh, and, And I think my favorite dragon from the past is the ancestral dragon, where the issues you have aren't your issues. They're your mother's issues or they're your grandfather's issues. For example, Tana's grandmother grew up in what is now Lebanon during World War I when they were having a great famine. 
and she was actually lost in the mountains for three days when she was five years old. So clearly uh, traumatic and she suffered with PTSD her whole life. Well, when the pandemic started in my house, we had a pandemic room because Tana's genes have been preparing for disaster for three generations. So sometimes the issues you have, they're just not your issues and learning how to tame that dragon is really important. In fact, Daniel, I believe it was on the recent PBS special that you shared a very heartfelt personal story about some of your own dragons and struggles. And if I'm not mistaken, what it had to do with your father in Mexico, remember that story? Because I found it to be enormously endearing and thought, you know, even one of the world's most renowned psychiatrists recognizes when he has some anxiety. Would you take a moment and kind of just revisit that? I found it very endearing and relatable. Well, it's, I talked about the wounded dragon. And, and all of us have wounds. And the last five years of my dad's life, he was one of my best friends. But he was a lousy dad for me when I was growing up. He worked all the time and he was gruff. He never noticed when you did anything right. I think I was 50 before he told me he loved me for like the first time. And <laughs> when we were young and I show this video in the PBS special, um, we had a goat, a white goat, pure white. Her name was Sugar. I loved her. And on the video, I'm only five years old. You can see her kissing me and I'm chasing her and she's chasing me. Um, I love this goat, but the goat also loved my father's roses. And um, one day my dad had had enough um, and the goat was gone. And we're like, what happened to sugar? <laughs> sugar went to the farm. Now I didn't know what the farm meant, but three, three nights later, he was joking, he and his brother, were joking at dinner that they had slaughtered sugar and they were feeding her to us for dinner. So horrifying. And I remember throwing up, running to my room crying. And then I blocked that memory. That's what often happens. And I was speaking at this huge stadium in Monterey, Mexico, at a spirituality and the brain conference. So I was giving one of the keynote lectures and as I walked out toward my hotel room after the lecture, they were selling goat meat uh, as one of the street foods in Monterey, Mexico. And I got flooded with that memory and all of a sudden had a panic attack. And um, it was not good. Now, thankfully, I know how to manage panic attacks and uh, did a technique I talk about in the show and in the book called Havening, where you, you, you don't go away from your traumas, you go into your traumas. Because when you block them, they expand. When you go into them, they dissipate. And so knowing how to manage it, I talk about it in the book, because we all have traumas uh, in our past, whether it's bullying or doing something embarrassing or being assaulted, whatever it is. 
and um, I calmed it down. But I'm not sure I ever really <laughs> forgave him <laughs> for um, sugar. Daniel, talk for a moment about death, grief, and loss and those dragons for the people that might be listening right now that have lost a loved one, that have been in their family irreparably damaged for any number of reasons. They lost a child, they've lost a loved one. What advice would you give them on, I mean, again, this is a broad question I know on, how to heal, how to come to terms with the role that um, psychiatry or counseling could play in their lives. I kind of want you to give permission for people to go into their trauma and, and, and dissipate it. Well, two of the most important dragons during the pandemic are the grief and loss dragons. And it just doesn't happen when you lose someone like you're right. I lost my father May 5th. Um, it's also when you lose something important yeah. like a job or you lose an idea like when you retire. Uh, I, I treat a number of Olympic athletes and they're grieving when they're 24 years old. Uh, it, it's just amazing because they never planned beyond that thing they did, you know, the intense training for. And when, when you lose someone or something important, it's so important to cry. It's so important to talk about it. It's also important, I tell this story, it's just heartbreaking, of Chris who lost her 12-year-old daughter, Sammy, to bone cancer. And Sammy was in so much pain. Part of Chris was actually glad when she died so she didn't have to mm. be in so much pain because bone cancer is some, some of the, it's just horrendous. And she didn't know how bad it would hit her, but she basically went to bed, drank a lot of alcohol, ate a lot of bad food, ballooned from 120 pounds to over 200 pounds. And on the two year anniversary of Sammy's death, Chris had planned to kill herself. But like you in the middle of the night, she was watching television and saw mm -hmm. one of my shows, uh, Change Your Brain, Change Your Body. And 10 weeks later, she's telling me this story. And she said, well, I decided I'd get your book. And if it was a bad book, I would kill myself the next day. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> um, it really sort of put some you think? teeth into my writing sessions. But uh, she said it was just so easy and so simple. And I realized I was handling grief in all the wrong ways. And so I stopped drinking, I stopped eating bad food, I put on walking shoes, I started walking, then I started running. And she said within eight days, the cravings went away, the fog lifted. Of course, she still missed Sammy. But she said, tell the people you talk to to never let grief be your excuse to hurt yourself. And I think that's just such smart advice. In the book, I talk about fix sleep first and not with alcohol or marijuana. Um, 
And um, then I give some specific exercises that can be helpful. But if your brain's not right, you won't process grief appropriately. And then one of the most interesting of all the dragons is the death dragon. And it's breathing fire around the world with the pandemic, even with four and five-year-olds, because, you know, they watch the news and they see death tolls. Uh, and it really freaks them out. Usually it pops up in midlife when you have parents that die or you have the friend's parents who die and you begin to go, is this all there is? And so you divorce your spouse, you get rid of your car and buy a Corvette and then three months later you trade the Corvette in because the suspension's not what you like. (laughs) And um, so we typically think of it as a midlife crisis, but it can come early if there's a pandemic and, or it can come early if you had a parent that was sick or a sibling that was sick or you were sick. So Tana's death dragon, Tana had cancer when she was 23 and it came and bit her early. And so really making peace with death, it's so important. When I was in college, I took a death and dying class, wrote my own funeral. Um, And it was one of the best things I ever did because in business, we always think about start with the end in mind. So what's your exit strategy? Uh, So you know you can get prepared that that's a smart thing to do. The same thing's true in your life, that you know there's going to be an end. I quote Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who said, it is in part the denial of death that causes people to Mm. live empty, Mm. meaningless lives. Because when you live as if you're going to live forever, you don't take care of the important things you need to do today. And I'm not encouraging the death dragon, but I already have my list. One of my favorite exercises in the book, list the good things about dying. Like I'm not gonna have to deal with my computer crashing and lose an hour worth of work again, ever. That's a good thing about dying. I won't have to deal with the LA traffic. I won't ever have to have a root canal again or get my teeth cleaned where someone's got sharp metal objects that are poking inside my mouth. My dentist hates when I talk like this. Um, And I'll have a smoking hot body when I'm cremated. So it's like, let's think about the good things. Literally smoking, literally smoking. (laughs) Daniel, thanks for your gravity and for your levity. I think what makes you so endearing is that you take yourself seriously and you also know how to make light of some of the more um, heavier topics. I'd like to do a speed round for you. About 10 minutes, I'm gonna pitch to you eight or 10 of these bad habit dragons and I want you to give me a minute of insightful genius on each of them. One minute per bad habit dragon. First, saying yes when you should say no, bad habit dragons. So this is one of the worst bad habit dragons that just ruins people's lives is they're anxious, they want to be uh, approved and, or they have ADD and it's impulsive. 
and I have my patients practice in the mirror, I have to think about it. So when someone asks you to do something, don't say yes, don't say no, just go, let me think about it. And then go back and ask yourself, does this fit the goals I have for my life? So helpful when you do that. Not necessarily about, do you want to shoot up heroin? It might be, will you review this manuscript for me? Or will you break, bake 500 brownies for the block party? It could be something that is just not congruent with your mission. It's just so important because when you say yes and you didn't need to, it leaves you stressed out. And it makes other people dependent on you, which is a bad thing. So um, asking yourself, does this fit my goals? And start with, I have to think about it. That way you can manage your own anxiety and not have to say no just on reflex, which makes a lot of people feel really uncomfortable. Moving forward, the next one, automatic no or arguing bad habit dragons. (laughs) The no, 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 bad habit dragon. This was my dad uh, and my first wife. No matter what it is you said to them, they would say no, um, or they would argue with you. There's actually a part in the brain, it's called the anterior cingulate gyrus, deep in your frontal lobes, that when it works too hard, people tend to be sad. And no matter what it is you say to them, they argue with you or they say, no, you know these people. It's sort of like the terrible twos continued, causes relationship stress, work stress, low empathy. Um, They do it because they're not cognitively flexible. Mm. And what I want people to do is catch themselves and often increasing serotonin in their brain helps them so much. So if you're married to one of these no, no, no people and you have something important to talk to them about, um, you have two strategies, three strategies. One, you can give them something like serotonin mood support, something I make to boost serotonin. You could take them on a long walk and don't talk to them about what's important to you for at least 10 or 15 minutes because exercise boosts serotonin and helps people be more flexible. You could also give them a cookie because simple carbohydrates now, not good for your health, but helps people be more flexible. That's why people get addicted to sugar. Daniel, the interrupting no filter bad habit dragons. I have some experience with this one, doctor. (laughs) Uh, Yes, these are people that don't let you finish your thought, uh, that they start formulating the answer um, even before you finished your first sentence. And they talk over people. Um, They say the first thing that comes to mind. They can dominate conversations. They hate waiting in line and this hurts team performance and damages relationships. Um, So realize the impact and then practice something I call active listening. That before you give your two cents, 
you have to repeat back what you hear the other person is saying. And don't make the excuse, well, I'll forget what I was going to say, because that's not a good excuse for being rude. Uh, communication is so critical. If you don't really know what the other person is saying, it becomes a one-way communication and can hurt relationships. Let's move to the trouble with the truth, bad habit dragon. It's just on Dr. Phil last week, and we were dealing with this dragon, this woman who actually had some brain issues, um, was sort of a chronic liar. And the problem is, is it lowers <laughs> trust. And if you lie to others, you're likely lying to yourself. But one of the statistics I got when I decided to include this dragon, and it's one of the reasons I included it, is 81% of patients lie to their doctors. <laughs> and I'm like, that is so self-defeating. So people lie when they feel trapped or when they hate the truth. And See it as a, as a problem to solve, not a character flaw. And then when kids have this problem, I do something called truth training. So it's like if one of your kids is struggling with this, it's like, we're going to see this as a problem. And sometimes I'm going to ask you questions I already know the answer to. And if you lie to me, there are going to be consequences. And if you tell me the truth, I'll be really happy about that. So what you're doing is you're teaching them that there's a supervisor in their head and you wanna activate that to get them to think before they speak. Distracted, obsessive, multitasking, bad habit dragons. <laughs> These are my ADD folks. Uh, actually, some of these go with ADD, easily distracted, constantly checking their devices, multiple devices. Now, it's not unusual for people to have three devices going at once. The television's on, they're on their phone and have an iPad next to them. Um, others get irritated, it decreases communication. Um, the device companies purposefully are trying to get mind share they create addictive gadgets. So you have to be very careful with them. Um, so put things on airplane mode when you need to get work done. Um, avoid them as often as you can. And often doing an app detox is critical to getting your attention back. Microsoft did a study in 2000 and said online the average attention span was about 12 seconds. When they redid it in 2015, it was only eight seconds. Well, a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. So it's pretty <laughs> terrifying to see what's happening in our society. Daniel, a couple more and then we'll uh, uh, pivot topics here. Procrastinating, I'll do it tomorrow, bad habit dragon. You know, just so common because people have so many things competing for their attention. They unnecessarily postpone actions and decisions. They wait until the last minute. Others have to be mad at them before they get things done. So there's a lot of stress. Again, see it as a problem to solve. Know what you want. Um, and we actually wrote about this in the five habits. Um, 
get a to-do list, but also a stop doing list. And one of the most important things is to have a daily huddle with yourself, just one to three minutes in the morning. What are the most important things I need to accomplish today? And do the most important thing first. Stop eating dessert first with your time. Uh, also, another thing I got from Franklin Covey, I just love the book, Four Disciplines of Execution, is making sure you're acting on the lead measures. So doing the most important things first. Daniel, thank you. Finish us off. Um, let, let's, let's pretend tomorrow is your last day alive. It's not going to be. You're going to be here for decades because you're a very healthy person. What is the one piece of advice you want everyone to know about exercise and its connection to our brain health? You know, if they could put exercise in a pill, somebody would make billions of dollars. The health benefits are spectacular. Um, the best kind of exercise, though, is coordination exercises. People who play racket sports live longer than everybody else, way longer than people who play soccer or football, longer than swimmers and runners. So it's really working your cerebellum in the back bottom part of the brain, the coordination exercises like tennis and dance and my favorite table tennis. Um, just really, they help your heart, they help your immune system, they help your blood flow, and they help your brain. How about the same question around food? What do you want people to know about the food they put in their mouth as it relates to their brain health? Um, your brain is 2% of your body's weight, but it uses 20 to 30% of the calories you consume. If you have a fast food diet, um, you have a low quality food diet, you're gonna have a low quality mind because your brain creates your mind. You know, when it comes to food, just ask yourself this one question, do I love foods that love me back? I, you know, and I think most people, if they make a list of what's healthy and what's not, um, you know, I think most people would actually get it right, get 80 or 90% of the foods right. They just don't choose right because they don't realize that they're actually in a relationship with foods. And mm. I don't know if you've ever been in a bad relationship. I have, and I'm damn sure not doing it with food. And I'm not doing it, you know, in my life, my wife and I, love each other, we're each other's best friend. And I'm not doing it with food. I mean, I might love Rocky Road ice cream, but it doesn't love me back. And why would I be in love with something that damages me, that hurts me? And so it doesn't take a lot. It just takes maybe 15 foods, a couple of breakfasts, a couple of lunches, a couple of dinners that you love that serve your health. And if you can think of it like a relationship, you'll start making better decisions for yourself. 
Daniel, finally, as we end, speak to what is now, of course, the legalization of marijuana. And I don't know how many states, there's a pervasive culture now where uh, parents and children are smoking together. And that now that it's both been not just decriminalized, but it's also legalized in, in, in a growing number of states, it's got to have some impact. I have my own opinions on it, but I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a medical doctor like you. What is your general advice to listeners and viewers about um, the use of marijuana? I'm not a fan. And the reason I'm not a fan is the impact on brain function. I published two very large studies. So one on a thousand marijuana smokers compared to healthy brains, every area of their brain is lower in blood flow and activity. That's a bad thing. And then I did the world's largest imaging study on 62,454 scans, looking at how the brain ages. Little kids have really busy brains, old people sort of have sleepy brains, sort of like your skin when you're little, your skin is sort of smooth and beautiful. And when you're old, there's all these wrinkles. Um, and then I look for what prematurely aged the brain. And marijuana was one of the worst offenders. And that actually surprised us. Um, it was worse than alcohol and smoking, um, not exercising. It's just not great. Now, I'm not a fan of putting pot smokers in jail. That just seems like a terrible waste of money. Um, but let's not say it's good for us. Any opinions on the medical use of marijuana and the studies that show it's been enormously helpful to some cancer patients and others like that? Yeah, I think for people who are really struggling with their appetite when they have cancer, the marijuana can be helpful to them. Um, there are some studies with epilepsy and showing that medical marijuana can be helpful to them. Um, so I, I wouldn't blanketly dismiss it. Um, I like that we're able to study it in a more thoughtful way. The problem is, as it's been legalized, people begin to think it's innocuous. And whenever the dangerousness or the perception of dangerousness of a drug goes down, its use goes up. And what people don't know is that if you smoke as a teenager, you have a significantly increased risk of having anxiety, depression, and being suicidal in your 20s. If you use marijuana as a teenager, you have a 450% increased risk of becoming psychotic. So it's not innocuous. Now, does it have medicinal value? Yes, for some very specific incidences, but there's a whole bunch of other things you can do to keep your brain healthy. Some people will go, but the brain has endocannabinoid receptors in it. Therefore, marijuana is natural and the brain needs it. That is just one of the dumbest arguments because the brain also has opiate receptors in it. And that didn't turn out 
very well with the opiate epidemic. Brain has benzodiazepine receptors in it and benzos we know are highly addictive. We have to be thoughtful, careful. And there's so many other ways to deal with your anxiety, insomnia, depression than using something that ultimately prematurely ages the brain. Daniel Ending, you are the most prolific writer I know. This book is a masterpiece. Your brain is always listening. What's next on the docket for you? I'm actually just finishing my book for next year, which I just loved writing. It's called You Happier, the neuroscience of feeling good based on your brain type. And one of the things we've been doing at Amen Clinics for a long time is looking at the types of brains. How does your brain create your personality? But Americans are unhappier now than they've been in my lifetime. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun just spending six, eight months thinking about happiness? And so um, hopefully you'll have me on again and we can talk about how to be happy for your brain type. Uh, the invitation is solid, sir. Dr. Daniel Amen, thank you for the gift that you've given to all of the people that have had great success at your nine clinics, the Amen Clinics around the nation. I have many countless friends, family members, colleagues, boards of directors, children's here at Franklin Covey. I have friends in Park City, Utah and Salt Lake that have turned to you and your colleagues across the nine clinics and the, the help, the generosity, the abundance, the selflessness that you and your wife have given to our world is unparalleled. Thank you again for coming on Franklin Covey's On Leadership podcast. There are more things you could do with your time, but that you would invest back in our community, sir. I'm grateful to you. Thank you for your friendship. I love being part of the Franklin Covey community, and I adore you. So thank you uh, for having me on again. Dr. Amen, our honor. Thank you, everybody. Phenomenal book. Your brain is always listening. Tame the hidden dragons that control your happiness, habits, and hang-ups. And I encourage you, if you've got some time, scan the PBS station in your local community. The two-hour special that Dr. Amen and his wife, um, Tana Share host, uh, is really remarkable. It's life-changing. It's why I invited him back on today, because it was captivating to listen to and think about the dragons that I've got in my own life and those of my wife's and my kids as well. So thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you back here next week for a new guest on Leadership. Leadership.